Have you heard the term harm reduction before? Now, whether you have or haven't, it has some very surprising results. So in this episode, I was hoping to have a professional explain it to you. And I did have it arranged, but unfortunately plans changed and therefore didn't pan out. So I'm sorry, but you are stuck hearing about this from me. So there are some real valid results being seen from implementing harm reduction. So welcome to this episode of And That's My Two Cents podcast. I'm Catherine Tereski and I'm really hoping that today you will learn about what harm reduction is exactly if you haven't heard of it or if you have heard of it maybe take away a little bit more knowledge on the topic and when I mention it to people I know most of them haven't heard of it and don't know exactly what it is so whenever I've tried to explain it to them I don't feel like I'm doing it any justice which is why I was really hoping I'd have somebody um, that knows so much about it to talk about it here but anyhow accepting the fact that drug use is inevitable and it's not going to disappear tomorrow and what we've been doing clearly isn't working so this way it kind of takes a different approach to it and makes it safer for users it's kind of more realistic approach but that it's not just handing out drugs or alcohol willy-nilly to them I mean, it's it's much more than that um, see blah 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 I'm going on and on and I am not doing a good job so just bear with me on this okay now I really wanted to jump into what's called the managed alcohol program but I'm going to try and have a bit of a structure to this and therefore I'm going to try to stick to the order of my bullet points that I have because again like I said I'm no expert on this subject but I can say that when I first heard about the managed alcohol program of which I knew nothing about I just thought it sounded crazy to provide alcohol to alcoholics as I'm sure many will think the same right now as I just said that I couldn't understand how that could help so since the managed alcohol program is just kind of a part of what harm reduction is. I don't want to jump all over. So I'm I'm just going to start with trying to explain what harm reduction is as a whole. And then I will go into a few of the different areas maybe that fall under harm reduction, such as the managed alcohol program, or as we like to call it, the MAP. And just the other day, I was speaking to my friend about this, and she started mentioning a bunch of things that are considered harm reduction that I never even thought of as harm reduction. And of course, I already can't remember what they were, but I do remember thinking, wow, I would never have thought of those. So hopefully as I go through here, go on and on about this it will come back to me or maybe at least some of them I don't know and maybe it won't but hey it is what it is okay so to try and explain harm reduction in my mind it's basically different ways of handling certain situations to decrease harmful results for people and not just the individual but for their families too when they engage in risky or harmful type behaviors I think it's important to mention too that it doesn't just focus on the person engaging in the behavior but also on on those around them as well because when someone let's say is an alcoholic that has harmful effects on their friends and their families around them and possibly even the community as a whole so some of those types of behaviors I'm referring to could be like drugs alcohol prostitution I don't know maybe joining gangs stealing cars that sort of thing and I feel like I'm referring to all the things in the Grand Theft Auto video game at this point now that's interesting anyhow I'm not here to talk about video games and I've never actually 
played Grand Theft Auto, so I could be completely wrong on that. But from what I've heard, I'm pretty sure that's what I think goes on in that game. Okay, so I think it might be best right now if I put this podcast on hold for a few minutes to grab the actual definition from a reputable website. So for me, it will be a few minutes, but for you, it will be like a millisecond thanks to the magic of this recording software. So hang on. And I'm back. I did a quick Google search and I found position statement from the Office of the Chief Public Health Officer at Manitoba Health dated April 10th, 2013. I'm also going to link that in the show notes for you, but I think it's perfect for me to read this to you. Um, I think it will help explain it. So here it goes. Chief Provincial Public Health Officer position statement, harm reduction. Harm reduction is a proven public health approach that reduces the adverse health, social, and economic outcomes related to a variety of risk-associated activities. Harm reduction reduces harm to the individual, to families, and to the broader community. What is harm reduction? Harm reduction most commonly refers to policies, programs, and practices that aim to reduce the negative health, social, and economic consequences that may ensue from the use of legal and illegal psychoactive drugs without necessarily reducing drug use. Its cornerstones are public health, human rights, and social justice. In recent years, this approach has also been applied to reducing negative health outcomes that are associated with sexual activity. Examples of harm reduction services include needle distribution and recovery, opioid replacement, example methadone, overdose antidote provision, example naloxone, safer sex supply distribution, example condoms, and outreach education programs. There will always be activities associated with risk in our society. The central focus of a harm reduction approach is on supporting people's efforts to minimize negative health and social outcomes. For example, ensuring access to sterile needles and overdose reversal medications does not eliminate drug use, but does reduce the risk for blood-borne pathogens and drug-related injury. The same can be said for harm reduction approaches that are geared towards reducing the sexual transmission of infections, such as access to safer sex supplies. Harm reduction promotes health for the individual and advocates for broader health and social policy change. It does not condone or condemn any particular behavior. While the historical roots of harm reduction are in the area of substance use, these principles are used in many different contexts. For example, seatbelts reduce the harms of driving collisions and sunscreens reduce the harms from sun exposure. Okay, I have to pause from reading right there because those are kind of the examples I was referring to earlier that my friend was mentioning how things like seatbelts and sunscreen, that sort of thing, are actually harm reduction. So I'm glad that it was in here because um, she mentioned a few other things as well too that hopefully I'll think of, but those were just uh, a couple examples, really good ones to kind of put into perspective that harm reduction is much more than drugs and alcohol and that sort of thing. So back to the letter. Harm reduction approaches attempt to maintain human dignity. They are designed to be non-judgmental, pragmatic, and compassionate. So come as you are. Harm reduction does not work in isolation. It requires an integrated cross-sectoral approach to ensure a continuum of care and support for individuals, their families, and their communities. Impacts of harm reduction. Among the benefits of harm reduction are reduced HIV and hepatitis C transmission, reduced overdose death and injury, reduced crime, and increased knowledge. In addition to benefits such as reductions in overdose deaths and bloodborne pathogen transmission, harm reduction promotes entry into addiction treatment and collaboration with community partners. Incorporating a harm reduction approach can also help to reduce the potential for harm when substance use and sexual activity are combined. Harm reduction addresses health inequity by engaging with marginalized clients that have traditionally been difficult to reach through conventional healthcare programming. Drug and sex-related harms are not experienced equally across all populations. 
populations. Populations that already experience broad systemic inequalities also tend to experience a greater burden of these harms. By bringing together appropriate community services and working towards structural and policy change, the needs of those who are underserved can be addressed effectively to achieve optimal care, reduce gaps in services, and improve health and well-being. And the very last part of this, it is the Chief Provincial Public Health Officer affirms that there are substantial health and social harms associated with psychoactive substance use. Psychoactive substances are often used for coping with physical and or emotional pain. There are many health, social, and economic benefits when harm reduction principles are applied. Harm reduction approaches are evidence-informed and cost-effective. Reducing stigma and discrimination, addressing policies that create unintended harms, and raising public awareness are all important components of a successful harm reduction program. Punitive response responses to psychoactive substance use often exacerbate drug-related harms. Kale, I hope I didn't butcher that, but anyhow. There is no signature on this document, um, but by the end date noted from April of 2013, I think this statement may have been from Dr. Michael Rutledge. And I happen to know that he listens to my podcast. So Mike, if you are listening to this episode, call me or email me or text me or something, whatever, to let me know if this was actually your statement. And if it was, maybe, since you're so good at explaining things, you should be a guest on my podcast one day, putting you on the spot here in front of all my listeners. But actually, yeah, I'm, that's my intent. So no pressure, but feel free to let me know if I made any mistakes in this episode as well. And I can update everyone and correct that. Or better yet, you can correct me in front of all my listeners when you're my special guest in an upcoming episode. So, okay, now <laughs> back to this. As I mentioned earlier on, things that fall under harm reduction, um, one in particular, particular is called the Managed Alcohol Program. And again, I know I said it earlier, but I can't stress enough and I have to be brutally honest that I thought it was crazy when I first heard about it. Again, talking about providing alcohol to alcoholics sounds nuts, right? Well, it's actually not. It's actually an effective way to help manage people's consumption of alcohol because it's regulated, it's controlled. I guess I should say it's a controlled amount. And those amounts are, from my understanding, determined by like an assessment process that's done on each person each time. So its purpose, um, and I hope I'm explaining this right, is to to kind of get their level to a point where they're not super intoxicated, like I guess to the point of blacking out and completely unable to function, and also at a level that isn't too low where they'll go into withdrawal. Because alcohol withdrawal can actually kill you. It's like no joke. Completing quitting, like completely quitting cold turkey, I should say. The person really needs to be under medical supervision if that is how they want to quit. I mean, I don't think we would ever tell somebody, no, don't completely quit. If that is their intent, then I think that that's um, something that we should support, but it should be done under medical supervision. So some people, and this is really just in my mind, (laughs) that um, these are the things that I'm thinking of in my head. Like some people could end up becoming functioning alcoholics, I guess I could say. So they might no longer be violent if drinking too much caused that for them, or they might no longer have to, you know, sell their bodies to get money to purchase alcohol or drugs because they actually have access to it. So not engaging 
engaging in that risky behavior, uh, maybe they could possibly find a job because they actually are thinking more clearly and can function again. And once they are able to think a little clearer, maybe they'll decide they want to quit. And another thing is just maybe if they have children, those children won't be apprehended and put into foster care because although they are drinking, they are drinking at a level where they can function and take care of their children. I mean, I hope that's making sense because that's where my brain is going on this. And also, like it doesn't just help the one abusing the substances. But I mean, again, by not having their children apprehended, that benefits the children by having a parent in their life. And it may even have that ripple effect where it's decreasing the strain on the child welfare system. Now, because I just kind of went on and on there, I actually paused this recording again. You didn't know that, but hey, um, I paused it to see if I could find a video that maybe explains this a little bit better that I could play for you that wasn't like an hour long. And I actually did. It's only about seven minutes long and it talks a little bit about the managed alcohol program. Um, it's in Ottawa and I will include the link in the show notes as well so you can watch it on YouTube. I think this video is perfect as well because I recently did an episode on the homeless and now I'm talking about harm reduction and this video is actually about the managed alcohol program and homelessness. It's called Managed Alcohol Programs Save Homeless People's Lives and Save Taxpayer Money. So here it goes. Hi, everybody. Um, gosh, I, I'm uh, really blown away here, and I know I say that a lot, but this is uh, one of the stories that I've, I've looked for for a long time. Uh, we're in what I call a wet shelter, but it's a... Managed Alcohol Program here at the Oaks in Ottawa. Yeah, so uh, this is Joe. Hi there. <laughs> and Joe's been a, a great host. Um, we'll get more into that in a second, but I really want to explain something um, that uh, I have a friend in Los Angeles, a homeless friend, and he's out on the streets and he has sclerosis of the liver. It's so bad that he has sores on his legs so that he can't even wear jeans. So what he does every day is he, he wears shorts, but he wraps bandanas around those sores so people don't see them. Um, and he's dying. He knows he's dying, but he can't stop drinking. So the normal abstinent-based program will not work for him. And that's all that's available in the area. So this person's going to die on the streets. And, you know, I was really uh, on the fence about this type of program until I met my friend in Los Angeles, who's literally dying on the streets because he can't stop drinking. So can you tell me, I mean, this is a medical facility. Don't think about it as, you know, anything, you know, weird or anything. This is a medical facility. Can you tell me about the program? It's certainly not an abstinence-based program. It's a managed alcohol program, or as you refer to it, a wet program, a wet shelter. Uh, the clients that live here are all chronic alcoholics. Many of them were street entrenched, drinking non-palatable alcohol-based substances like Listerine or rubbing alcohol, aqua velva, and slowly dying because of it. Um, and the need, the need has been seen for years. However, it finally came to fruition two years ago with, uh, with the Oaks program. And now many of those same clients that were living on sidewalks and in bushes or what have you, uh, drinking those non-palatable alcohol-based products are here drinking a house wine, they get a seven ounce pour once an hour, every hour, um, monitored by staff as well as CCW's client care workers from Ottawa Inner City Health and nurses from Ottawa Inner City Health. So there is certainly a medical component here. 
Um, meds are managed here for clients who are on medications, and that would pretty much be most of them. Um, meals are prepared here in the program. We have uh, an open kitchen. Clients take part in meal planning and meal preparation. It's, uh, it's a real community live-in setup, and, uh, and it, we think it works really well. Yeah. And the goal is to still get people off the alcohol. Of course, that's, that's a goal. But the goal is to keep people alive, living the best that they can for as long as it is. And Joe was telling me this is like the last stop. I mean, it's, you know, the other shelters when the person can't stop drinking and can't stop using. And, you know, they just kick them out because they smoked a joint, which, you know, happens. <laughs> um, they come here and they find a place uh, that they're accepted. And, um, gosh... I, I, I love this place. I really do. It was a little weird for me walking in and seeing all my homeless. I mean, everybody here has a cup, you know. And uh, But out on the streets, you know, let, let's be real here. You know, even in your abstinent-based program, there's people sneaking booze. You know, there are, or the ones that are out on the streets, which are the majority of them, because majority of them won't go into an abstinent-based program because alcohol has taken over their life. Um are walking around with Listerine or, you know, the hand sanitizer, which I, you know, if you're to the point where you're drinking hand sanitizer and Listerine, you're not going to get sober by a normal abstinence-based program. This is why this is so important. Uh, you said something that was also very important I, I didn't even think about is a lot of times our homeless friends that have mental illness are on medications and they want to drink so they don't take their medications so that they can drink because they, they feel funny and you're able to manage that. There's a med schedule here. Um, we actually have a CCW holding the camera for us right now. Thank you, Jody. And uh, uh, a Jody CCW is, is client care worker. Okay. Um, Jody is one of the people that, uh, that works here regularly and manages our client medications um, and basically you know, provides the first step, first aid, and, and medical care for our clients. Great, great. Uh, anything you'd like to add? I mean, how, how do people find out more information about the program, your website? The Shepherds has a website at www.theshepherdsofgoodhope.com um, and all of our programs are highlighted on the website. Um, there's articles about the Oaks. If you Googled the Oaks, you'll get a myriad of articles right. about the Oaks um, right on Google. There's, yeah. there's tons of information. We're becoming very well known and are, are widely regarded as a model. Yeah. All right. And, um, something else before I, I, I end this is I see a lot of seniors here. Um, I, and I, and those of you that have been following me, I've been talking about the silver tsunami. Um, because this, the, the boomer generation is getting older and here's these, you know, wonderful people. I've been talking to them out here. Uh, the dog, the, they have a dog that was their security guard let me in, so I'm approved. And, uh, um, the, um... Uh, just, uh, you know, the older generations out on the streets can't stop drinking. These places are needed. By and large, uh, the youth, whether it be this generation or, or any previous generation, are still strong enough to manage on their own. Yeah. They're still 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And the clients that we have here have realized that they're not. Right. Um, so we're doing what little bit we can to help improve their quality of life. Yeah. And... Um, it, it, you know, look at the research before you you judge this. Uh, I think it's interesting that the abstinent-based programs always 
slam the harm reduction models and the harm reduction models actually say hey both are needed you know there's McDonald's and Burger King there's you know uh, Pepsi and Coke so many different kinds of people that there's different kinds of recovery for everybody and I know absent this isn't for everybody because those type people will go to the abstinence-based programs, but literally everybody else dies on the street unless there's something like this. We, uh, we're fortunate in that we have clients that will come into a program like MAP um, and continue to drink and be served their alcohol on a daily basis, who will eventually come to us and say, I want to go to detox. I really think I'm ready to stop. And we'll refer them to detox and we'll back them up and support them 100%. And the occasion does arise where they move on to second stage housing and go to treatment and end up sober right. and abstinent. It's not because we said this is the end goal, we want you to become, we want to do whatever we can to help. Right. And, and it's, very, it's very similar to the methadone uh, maintenance program that's really been accepted in the United States and elsewhere for years and years and years. So, well, thank you, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Okay, so that was the video. Um, the audio isn't the greatest on that, so it doesn't really record that well, or should I say download well, but I still left it in because I'm here for the learning experience on this topic, and the sound doesn't have to be perfect to get the point across. I'm not sure if you could hear it clearly, but that video was from the treatment center called The Oaks, which is in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And I also wanted to mention that there's a couple videos on YouTube as well that I'm going to link below from CBC's show called The Fifth Estate. They've done a couple, I guess, different episodes called The Poor, Treating Alcoholics with Wine. Now I'm going to include these because specifically focuses on the treatment center called The Oaks in Ottawa. Anyhow, I really, really, really encourage you to watch those because giving alcoholics alcohol is definitely a controversial way to deal with it. But I think if you watch these videos and listen to the stories, the personal stories from the people who are accessing this type of treatment, I think it will really help put things into perspective. So please check them out. And while that was playing, I did remember another type of harm reduction that that was surprising to me anyways, was bike helmets. She said that wearing a bike helmet is harm reduction as well. So that also made me then think of basically anything where you're protecting yourself from harm. So another thing I wanted to say is that all in all, I think that harm reduction, especially when it's specific to um, drugs and alcohol, it's about not only hopefully having them no longer dependent on those substances, but to just improve their quality of life overall, whether that be a completely sober life or a sober more often life or sober just sometimes or just not as intoxicated as they were before. Do you get where I'm going out with that? I hope so. But basically, even if their quality of life improves slightly or if it improves significantly or if it's just somewhere in between, is their life improving as a result? If it is, no matter how minor, then I think it's a good thing. Now you can agree with this approach or you can completely disagree with this approach and that's totally fine. Everyone is entitled to their opinion and beliefs on things like this, whether that be a personal belief or your religious belief or whatever, and that's okay. My personal belief and my thoughts or my two cents is that this actually helps. Now before I would have said no, but today I'm totally a believer after learning so much more 
more about this. Just keep an open mind about this going forward. And who knows, you may change how you feel about it or how you think about it or what you believe. And if so, that's great in my mind. And hey, if not, that's okay too. Well, as always, I will link some reading you can do to further educate yourself on this new approach to dealing with addiction or to maybe help you understand how it can benefit your community. I think we all have a role we can play in helping those who are suffering and treat them in a more humane way. So in my opinion, this is actually something that I feel can make a major difference in society. So it's definitely something to consider going forward. And again, I was skeptical, but once I learned more about it and listened to the stories, I totally became a believer in this. Anyhow, check out the website links in my show notes. I have multiple ones. One is to the National Harm Reduction Coalition site. Uh, There's a link to the Manitoba Harm Reduction Network for those of you here in Manitoba and want to know kind of what's going on locally, as well as links to some reading if you're interested. So just click on the link and it will take you right there to um, some books on Amazon. And I wanted to mention this one last thing that I read about harm reduction. I think it might have been from the National Harm Reduction Coalition site linked below, but it says that it recognizes the realities of poverty, class, racism, social isolation, past trauma, sex-based discrimination, and other social inequalities that uh, affect both people's vulnerability to and the capacity for effectively dealing with drug-related harm. I felt that when I read it, because many, and not all I'm sure, but most people dealing with drug addiction or alcoholism have come from one of those areas or in multiple areas even. And I personally feel that if we work towards eliminating poverty, eliminating racism, eliminating discrimination, etc., that would get to the root of this problem. And I think we would see a decrease in drug-related harm, addictions, uh, that sort of thing, just by doing that and ensuring that people's basic human rights are met, you know, surrounding them by a supportive family and friends, removing that stigma, you know, and if everyone was just kind to each other, things would change for the better. And I think educating kids on the harms of drugs and alcohol so that hopefully they will think twice before trying it and knowing that there's other ways to deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with, whether it be trauma or something else, and just promoting a sober life and maybe stopping some of this risky behavior, I think is not a bad idea in my mind. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, be sure to download this episode, share it widely if you want, so we can spread the word about harm reduction and the benefits that have been seen or documented so far, where things like this have been implemented. And everything I referred to in this podcast is in the show notes. So don't forget to check it out. And the last thought I want to leave you with is it's pretty obvious that what we've been doing so far isn't working. So isn't this approach worth a try? Just think about that.